You're listening to Season 2, Episode Number 9 of Strike the Match. Roland Allen was one of the most influential individuals in missionary activity. He passed away in 1947. However, his influence is still felt today. In this episode, which is Part 1 of a two-part discussion, Dr. Stephen Rutt and I spend time talking about Roland Allen's life. In the next episode, we address his missiology. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with pastor and missiologist Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. On the uh, episode today, I am really excited about the conversation uh, that uh, I'm getting ready to have and that you get the privilege of being able to listen to. I have been wanting to have this conversation with this brother for a long time. I would, I'm guessing probably at least a year. And so uh, today we're going to be talking about Roland Allen. I know that uh, for those of you that have been keeping up with uh, my blog or have, have listened to me uh, make comments on Allen in, in days past on, on uh, Strike the Match, you know that, uh, that uh, he, uh, his missiology has been very influential uh, on my thinking. And so um, it was uh, almost uh, two years ago that I started uh, a project uh, that uh, I'll Uh, be sharing with you a little bit more later on, but a project uh, related to uh, the editing and publication of a book that is uh, going to be released soon, and it's it's a a book that is primarily concerned with uh, an unpublished uh, Roland Allen manuscript. And so while I was in the process of, of doing some editorial work to try to bring this to the light of day, uh, I was in conversation with uh, some others, and they were talking about some people who would need to contribute chapters to this book to, uh, to provide some commentary on the material that we are hoping to release. And the name... Stephen Rutt uh, was immediately in that conversation. Uh, in fact, uh, the, uh, the the grandson of Roland Allen, who's been a part of this uh, this book project, uh, strongly uh, recommended that uh, that Steve be a part of uh, of that project. And so, uh, over the past year and a half, two years, I've been able to communicate with Steve on several occasions by email and by phone. And I've been wanting to have this conversation with him for, for some time. And so, so my guest today is uh, Dr. Stephen Rutt. Uh, he did his Ph.D. at the University of Lancaster in the United Kingdom. Uh, he serves uh, as the Assistant Professor of Biblical Studies at Arizona Christian University, and he is also an Adjunct Professor of Intercultural Studies at uh, Fuller Theological Seminary. He is a priest in the Reformed Episcopal Church. Uh, he is... He is an evangelical Anglican connected with the uh, Anglican Church of North America and is a visiting professor of missiology at the Reformed Episcopal Seminary in Pennsylvania. Uh, some of his other responsibilities involve uh, him serving as the president for Covenant Renewal Ministries Incorporated. And uh, he's connected to this organization as a missionary uh, teacher uh, who serves in many international uh, capacities. Uh, prior to um, his, um, his involvement with the Anglican Church, uh, he served as a church planter in Ontario, Canada, and also in New Zealand. And uh, Dr. Rutt is uh, in the process of writing two books. Letterworth Press out of Cambridge has agreed to publish 
his doctoral research on the missiology of Roland Allen, and so they are forthcoming uh, in two separate volumes. And so it's my honor to, to have uh, Dr. Rudd on the program today. So Dr. Rudd, thank you so very much and welcome to Strike the Match. Thank you for this inv invitation. You uh, are a busy guy with, uh, with all of those, uh, uh, those activities that I just read off. Uh, uh, do, do you ever get rest? Do you ever take time to eat? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, that's a priority. You know, um, uh, Steve uh, is, uh, he, he is, I believe, one of the leading scholars in the world today when it comes to, to Roland Allen's studies, and, and he and I were, were talking before this recording. Uh, there aren't a lot of us in the world. Uh, is that, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that, Steve? Well, in terms of uh, going to the level of understanding Roland Allen, uh, you and I are probably the key uh, um, analyst at this time. <laughs> so when I said that you were one of the leading guys, that I, <laughs> that's only two, right? <laughs> yeah, there are some others. Uh, they're uh, more at an incipient stage uh, in their research, but um, hopefully that we can... Uh, cultivate more of an interest. I, you know, I know, and, uh, you know, maybe we'll come up with like a secret handshake and a club or something like that <laughs> for those of us. That sounds good. Hey, can we uh, can we talk a little bit about uh, these uh, two books that you have coming out? I'm really excited about uh, about these two works on Roland Allen. What, what can you share with us about those? Well, they, they stem from my doctoral research uh, at the University of Lancaster, and, uh, of course, uh, Roland Allen's archives are at, in Oxford. Uh, during the time I was doing my research there, uh, from 2009 to 2013, his archives were at Rhodes House, Oxford, and uh, in the library is the Nelson Mandela African Study Center. They have now, in this past year, moved all of Allen's archives to the Bodleian Library, which is just uh, a few blocks down the road, uh, but that's the second best library in all of England. Mm. And uh, so what I did was extensive archival research. Um, my focus was uh, historical uh, in nature in terms of like a historical theology. And so what I did with my thesis was um, there's a lot of things that have been written about Roland Allen, but not much scholarly attention, especially to his unpublished works, mm -hmm. which again, I'm as you are, we're very pleased that, uh, that this new publication for um, Ministry of Expansions is going to be available for people to read. But what I did in my research was, my thesis was to provide an intellectual biography to disclose why Roland Allen thought the way he did, mm -hmm. and firstly, and then secondly, to explore who were the people and the ideas that primarily influenced his thinking. And thirdly, uh, I, I set out to analyze in, in extensive detail how his missionary ecclesiology developed throughout his life. And, uh, and then my, what I did from that context, I, I broke the thesis down into two principal parts. Uh, firstly, as an historical understanding of Allen's missionary ecclesiology, which uh, how is the church missional according to Allen's understanding. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, uh, an analysis of the apostolic principles which formed his missionary theology. And just like you, we both had an interest in that second point as far as understanding his 
these apostolic principles that um, compelled Allen to write the way he did and to address the issues and the um, missionary uh, milieu of that period of time in which he was living. Mm. So ultimately the study, then I unpack uh, his Pauline missiology uh, and that it's capable of being applied in the modern context today uh, to produce self-governing, self-supporting, self-extending churches um, that are fully equipped and can function on their own. And so, uh, and I, I also uh, unpack the fact that uh, in many ways Roland Allen was a pioneer in missiology and very prophetic in the way that he, he saw things. He was ahead of his time in many ways, uh, but what he did was he, he uh, all he did was remind the church uh, in the 20th century of what the church was like uh, in the very first few centuries, mm-hmm. uh, especially where um, the churches were planted. There was a spontaneous expansion of the church uh, throughout the world. Uh, even before the apostles got to places, there were churches already emerging, and they came in with the, of course, the confirmation and the organizational side. Mm-hmm. But these churches were already um, emerging um, within their own context because of the apostolic faith that was taken by the people and uh, people living out their faith. Do you have, uh, have tentative dates on when those books uh, will come to, come to light? Well, I have a, a few deadlines I'm working with with Lutterworth Press. Uh, I need to have the first volume finished uh, the end of August and the second volume finished uh, the end of December. So That's This year, uh, 2016, right? Yeah, this year, and so we're we're looking at uh, more than likely 2017 for both books well, for next year. Wonderful, and and you know I I do strongly uh, believe that these two works are going to be become two of the definitive works on Roland Allen studies uh, in days to come. I'm just just hearing you through some of our correspondence and and uh, and even just what you just shared today. I mean th- these will be two two substantial works that, uh, for those of you that are listening, that you will definitely want to to get a copy of uh, Lutterworth Press uh, from Cambridge is uh, is going to be publishing those. So so keep an ear and an eye out on that. And of course, uh, if you're if you're reading my stuff on a regular basis at jdpain.org, when they become available, I will definitely be be letting you folks know as well. Uh, so, Steve, let's let's spend a, a little bit of time uh, first of all talking about about this man, Roland Allen. Um, kind of getting some idea of, of his life, kind of his, his journey, uh, before we kind of get into his, his missiology. Uh, Allen lived from 1868 to 1947, and uh, listeners are probably, if they're familiar with any of his writings, they're probably going to be familiar with, obviously, Missionary Methods, St. Paul's or Ours, and maybe uh, Spontaneous Expansion of the Church. Um, but 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 let's let's talk a little about the the things that uh, took place in this guy's life that kind of kind of shaped shaped him as a as an Anglican shaped him as a uh, as as a missionary for a short period of time in China and uh, and also influenced his writings uh, as well. So uh, so what stands out in your mind when you uh, when you think about the life of this man? Well, he was uh, brought up in a, a very um, evangelical context within the Church of England. His father was a vicar. Uh, his father actually also went as a missionary to what we now call Belize yeah. uh, and died there uh, when Alan was very young. 
Um, so his mother uh, shaped his thinking. So uh, we find with Alan, and this is a this is a thing that I have argued throughout my thesis that um, even uh, as a high church Anglican, uh, influenced heavily by the Oxford movement, uh, there is a strong evangelical faith that's a part of him. Not, that's mm. not to assume that there's no evangelicalism within the high church, because there is. Yeah. But uh, his, uh, his mother nurtured him uh, in the faith uh, in a really wonderful way. She, she was very, very much uh, uh, influenced by pietism, was that correct? Yes, yes. And uh, she had some relatives that uh, were a part of the Brethren movement, mm -hmm. and uh, we don't have any indication that she was a part of the Brethren. She remained an Anglican. But, but um, a lot of the issues that were going on in the 19th century as she was growing up uh, did influence her thinking. So she was committed to the Holy Scriptures, to the Bible, mm -hmm. um, and the, the, the authority of Scripture. So we find this with Alan throughout his life. Um, he, uh, he was, uh, <laughs> he was, well, of course, in our American culture, a Bible thumper in a sense. <laughs> of course, as an Anglican, he's much more, uh, conservative and, uh, reserved. But, no, he was committed to the Holy Scriptures. And that's evident in, also, uh, later in life as he began to address issues that he felt were, uh, compromises with the Scriptures and, uh, especially with, um, teachings on what we call on the left, mm -hmm. um, uh, a movement away from the scriptures. Alan always was very strong on the authority of scripture, uh, on the substitutionary work of atoning work of Christ, uh, in terms of the centrality of the cross. Uh, and of course, as you know, uh, Alan's, uh, of course, he's very strong on the creeds, mm -hmm. uh, felt that the creeds were very important as far as a part of a person's uh, framework. Uh, and theology, uh, but he uh, he had a he was really an innovator in the area of uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, pneumatology, mm -hmm. uh, and how pneumatology and ecclesiology work together rather than separate. You mentioned uh, that uh, growing up there in England, and you know, even in, when he, get, he gets into college, he, has, he went to Oxford. Was the, is that correct? St. John's yeah, College. St. John's College. Yeah. And you said that he was influenced. He was. He, you said you used the phrase. He was a high church Anglican, influenced by the Oxford movement. Uh, for 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 our listeners that that aren't familiar, maybe uh, they're not familiar with that terminology, high church Anglican Oxford movement. What what exactly was that? Or is that? Well, during the, the 19th century, um, the early part of the 19th century, there were a, a group of scholars, um, uh, E.B. Pusey, uh, John Henry Newman, John Keeble, and some others that were, uh, these were Oxford scholars that were concerned that the Church of England was uh, a little bit too reactionary against uh, certain aspects of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And what they meant by that was uh, that there were a lot of things that were missing that in the Church of England, which is Protestant, that in, it, it sometimes had become very uh, reactionary against uh, Roman Catholicism and the Eastern Orthodox Church. Mm -hmm. And so there was a, um, a movement toward uh, understanding the church as it was before the big split in uh, 1054, uh, when the Eastern part of the Orthodox Church and the Western Latin Church, Roman Catholic, split. Um, 
So they were concerned of going back to the early church fathers and, and then seeing how the church, when it was unified, uh, what, what were the things, what, were the, uh, what was the belief system and the things that held the church together? So it was a movement toward that. Now, interestingly, uh, for those that have been to on university campuses, quite often you bump into what's called the Newman Center. Mm, yes. And that's after, named after John Henry Newman, and these are Roman Catholic uh, it's a Roman Catholic outreach to university students. John Henry Newman, actually, his, um, a lot of his students that he was teaching became Roman Catholic, moved away from the Church of England. Uh, and that, of course, in the, in the 19th century, that was, uh, that was a problem. Uh, but many of his students kind of said, okay, um, Dr. Newman, you know, what you've been teaching us, uh, you're much more consistent if you move uh, toward a Roman church <laughs> understanding. And, and Newman did eventually, uh -huh. and eventually became a cardinal uh, within the Roman church. Uh, now, Pusey and um, Keeble both uh, remained as Church of England men, churchmen. And so to... to um, uh, to, to look at the Oxford influence there, the Oxford movement, many of the churches in England were influenced by this high church approach. So in some ways, there was a, a movement back to the smells and bells, as we would call it, um, you know, having incense uh -huh. uh, and uh, bells uh, during the Eucharistic service. Um, and there were some reactions. So you have the low church emphasis, which is very evangelical, the high church emphasis also had a very strong evangelical message. and uh, But in Allen's day, uh, when he was studying at St. John's College, just uh, across the street and down a few, not even a few blocks, um, is what's called Pusey House. And this is where uh, E.B. Pusey had his library. And uh, this is, uh, I've done research there. It's, um, it's a wonderful study center. Um, it's a place where a lot of people go to for um, spiritual formation. Um, Holy Cross College is also there in that facility. But uh, what Alan did when he was doing his, his uh, studies on his master's degree at St. John's College, he, uh, he would go over to and talk to the librarian um, who was a scholar by the name of uh, Effie Brightman. Um, mm -hmm. And... Uh, uh, Dr. Brightman was, um, and of course, when we say librarian, uh, we're talking about not like an, an American library, right. concept, but a person that's um, a scholar. And uh, and uh, F.E. Brightman became uh, Alan's uh, spiritual father. Um, and in fact, Alan refers to him as my dear father in God. So he was mentored, uh, his spirituality. And in fact, um, Brightman was um, a scholar in the area of the Eastern liturgies, Eastern Orthodox liturgies. Uh, and so we see in Allen's writings uh, certain things that emerged that were obvious spin-offs of that influence from uh, F. E. Brightman. Yes. Uh, so, so the um, the influence of that uh, um, of the, of the Pusey House. Uh, faculty was was really strong on him developing as a as a high high church Anglican, right? Yes, Alan. Uh, again, Alan was a very uh, you know he was a very consistent Anglican, but he was influenced by the high church side when he was at Oxford. That seems to be 
what really began to develop there. And his so his spirituality is, um, as he was developing to eventually be a curate in a church, which is like an assistant minister, um, uh, and even the clergy school he went to was a high church uh, school in Leeds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I think that is so, so important, um, you know, for, for, for people to keep in mind today. Uh, you know, Alan, you know, he, he remained, he remained that high, high church Anglican, you know, throughout his, his life. And um, I think part of the reason why it's important is because I know, I know people from other denominations, you know, I'm, I'm Baptist, and so Baptists will read Alan's stuff and they'll say, Man, this guy—he wasn't Anglican. He—he he was Baptist, or you know, Presbyterians will read it and read what he had to say about the Holy Spirit, and they'll say, or no, not Presbyterian, but Pentecostals will read it and see what he had to say about the Holy Spirit, and they'll say, well, you know, Alan was a Pentecostal, um, but but that's not true. I mean, he was—he was, even though he—he he wasn't afraid to speak it, speak his convictions. He—he he remained an Anglican. Yes, and the, and the the beauty of uh, of course Anglicanism is uh, we're we're noted for. Um, uh, saying things such as, uh, in the essentials, we must have unity. The non-essentials, a lot of liberty, mm-hmm. and in all things, charity. Um, uh, and we think that this probably stemmed from St. Augustine's words from centuries mm-hmm. ago. But um, So Anglicans, on the one hand, um, and that comes forth in the emphasis on Holy Communion, that the table of the Lord is open to all Christians, mm-hmm. no matter what branch of Christ they're coming from. Uh, and that's the beauty of the Protestant uh, uh, emphasis within Anglicanism. But on the other hand, um, the high church approach that Alan held to, he had a, his ecclesiology was, um, he really took it seriously. And so therefore he had this um, big view of the church in the terms that a lot of diversity can function. And that what Alan did, as you know, is uh, the apostolic faith. Uh, the the um, what we see in in Jude that the the the, the faith that was delivered once for mm-hmm. all saints um, he continued with that so he was flexible enough to work with any denominational group and of course yeah he spoke uh, in he has spoken and his writings still speak into many denominations in fact mm-hmm. when I was uh, giving a lecture at the Oxford Center for Mission Studies uh, which was started by John Stott. Um, this is uh, downtown Oxford. Um, one of the main uh, Pentecostal, actually, Assembly of God ministers from the States was there, and he, he works there. And, and uh, he said to me, he said, by the way, in our Pentecostal circles, when it comes to missiology, um, we are, our uh, professors tend to talk more about Roland Allen than St. Paul. Hmm. Now, obviously, he was being, he was joking. Sure, yeah, yeah. But he was just saying that it, Allen's influence within... Uh, Pentecostalism mm-hmm. is huge. Yeah, so so Alan eventually, uh, 1892, he's ordained as a deacon in the church. 1893, he, he becomes a priest, and uh, eventually, uh, through through uh, uh, ups and downs, he ends up in China as a missionary, and uh, he he's there around uh, the turn of the century. And uh, he he lives through the Boxer Rebellion when that uprising was occurring, and uh, the desire to to kick out anything that's foreign, uh, so to speak, out of China. Uh, and, and so he he really saw uh, and experienced uh, what what paternalism was doing uh, in missions across the majority world. Yes. 
How do, how do you think that that influenced him? I know we're, we'll get into his missiology in a little bit, but how do you think that influenced him as these, these ideas, these thoughts about missions uh, be, were developing within him when he was seeing all this uprising and, 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 and riots? And, he, you know, he writes in his, uh, uh, his journal that he published, uh, The Siege of the Peking Legations, uh, in 1901, he writes about you know, you know bullets you know coming through the walls, cannonballs coming through you know the building that he was staying in. I mean, how, how do you think this this concept of of colonialism, paternalism, you know, was shaping him at that time? Uh, it it's it um, permeated his thinking constantly. Um, when he was, uh, in, in fact, I um, when I did my research, um, I, I read. Like the original handwritten uh, diaries, so in terms of the uh, uh, in terms of what he wrote in the siege of the Peking legations, and also later his diary of when he went to India um, in the latter part, uh, 1927-28. Reading through that and looking at the little notations he makes and side you know side notes and things like that, um, you 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 get a, a better sense of what was going on in his mind again and I'm writing an intellectual biography what made him tick why mm -hmm. did he, the way he did so um, on the one hand when they were hunkered down uh, uh, because the, the boxers really these were the, the we would call them the kung fu mm -hmm. uh, fighters but they were um, they were energized by a spirituality uh, of believing that the powers from on high would mm -hmm. come upon them and that they would conquer the Westerners. And so you had all of these um, missionaries, many that already had been uh, put to death, martyred for their faith. Um, and, of course, you had the mixture of uh, paternalistic stuff going on, uh, colonialism there. And so Alan would make these comments about the, we are the foreigners and they are, they're getting rather upset with us. On the one hand, Allen, uh, during that period of time, and even later in his writings on articles that he wrote, uh, made it very clear that uh, the latter part of the 19th century, uh, in China, they were wanting Western education. Uh, but they believed that uh, a deficiency in Western education was the fact that it wasn't stemming from some kind of uh, spirituality, some kind of faith. Mm -hmm. And Allen clarified that and said, no, I mean, to understand Western civilization, you cannot remove it from the Christian faith. So on the one hand, Allen saw the necessity for missionaries to be in China to bring the faith uh, to the Chinese, to bring the gospel to them. Uh, but he, as you know, he was very careful in not imposing customs, Western customs, upon the people. Mm -hmm. uh, so he lived in this tension of, on the one hand, being a faithful uh, Anglican missionary, um, and conveying what he what he believed was uh, the necessity of of the faith to be uh, you know disseminated while he was there. On the other hand, he he's, he saw he began to understand that missionaries needed to always understand in a context like that it's short term. Yeah. You go in there, you plant the church, you equip the saints, you you raise up leadership, and then after that. Um, you move on, you retire, mm -hmm. right? And then, of course, later in life, Alan got firmer and firmer on that whole thing about retirement, that uh, 
you you empower the local leadership, the indigenous leadership, and then you move on to the next segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but I mean, he, he was, was there, his bishop, Bishop Scott, had all was good friends with uh, John Nevin, and John Nevin was a, a very famous uh, Presbyterian missionary uh, to Japan and to China, and they became very close friends. And it was Nevin that was 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 beginning to explain to uh, Bishop Scott the, the the principles of indigenization, and it was there. So in one sense, Allen was influenced by not only his Anglican bishop, but also um, by a Presbyterian church planter. <laughs> and so you have this development of an evangelical ecumenism mm-hmm. that uh, you, we see. So while while they're hunkered down, I know I just went. Gave. I probably said too much there, but no, 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 that's good. <laughs> oh, let me, let me ask you a question. Did, did you mean to say John Nevius? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. Nevius. Okay, I, I, I think I, I'm Nevin, another yeah, theologian. I just just wanted to clear. No, no, no. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> yeah, I mean John Nevius. Yeah, um, I appreciate that. Yes. No, that's uh, okay. And and Nevius was um, wrote quite a bit about uh, the church being self-supporting, mm-hmm. self-governing, self-propagating. Then we find later in time, Alan takes Nevius to task on the whole thing of self-support in <laughs> uh, and, and the issue of uh, that means uh, not just financial support, but it means, you know, the church being able to support itself with its own leadership. Mm-hmm. So, 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 I mean, kind of on that line, I mean, I, I mean, I know at that point in, in mission history, we we talked about uh, devolution, about um, how how the church in an area would would devolve authority to to the believers majority world believers to kind of use that expression to to those those young indigenous churches they would they would devolve authority give them more and more authority over time and you know sometimes that would be decades uh, before they would have their own indigenous leaderships making leadership making their own decisions so so Alan he 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 not only knew about this uh, intellectually but he knew about it from from real life experience Yes, yes. Um, he, um, you know, getting back to the thing about when he was in China, he had these uh, Chinese men that he was training, mentoring uh, within the seminary that he was in charge of. Uh, and Alan began to say, how can we evangelize all of China with the method that we're using mm-hmm. here? Because it's just an impossibility. So already he was beginning to think outside the box of the colonial uh, mission society approach, and and began to see that the church, the missionaries had to had to come with a, a, a different approach, and that was that pushed him back into St. Paul's missionary methods. And and it was you know it was a long shortly after you know the Boxer uprising uh you know some various things took place but but Alan and and at this time now you know his wife they end up back in in England and uh he you know he does he does some service there uh, uh as a vicar in a in a in a parish uh but um but it's it's during this time I mean he's he really begins to start Writing some of his more influential works in 1912, he publishes Missionary Methods, St. Paul's or Ours, and uh, you know, he publishes uh, 1927, you know, Spontaneous Expansion of the Church. But but in between those periods of time, I mean, he's he's writing some other books, Missionary Principles. Uh, uh, he's he's 
He's doing some things with uh, with some other men, uh, Thomas Cochran and uh, Sidney James Wells Clark. Uh, he serves as a naval chap- chaplain in the, you know, in, in the war. Teaches uh, uh, classics, uh, uh, you know, at a, at a local college. Uh, 1917 publishes uh, a little booklet called Pentecost in the World. So, so I mean, he, he he's writing a, a great deal of of works from about 1912 up through about 1927. Of course, he'll continue that in his life. But um, but what what are yeah, some of the- Pentecost in the World? Uh, Hubert Allen, uh, Allen's Roland's grandsons, said that his grandfather that he believed was his best work. You know, I. I remember reading that uh, in Hubert's um, autobiography uh, on his grandfather, yes. and and I, it is one of my favorite. It is one of my yeah. favorite Allen writings. It's not easy to find. Um, at least it wasn't a few years ago. I don't know if it's if it's available or not. But uh, but yeah, if you're if you're listening and you haven't had a chance to track down Roland Allen Pentecost in the world, you you need to get a get a, a copy of that. Uh, in fact, um, Steve, Steve, what's kind of give us a, just a quick summary. What is that little booklet about anyway? Well, uh, when it was originally published, um, David Payton, who was a, a church leader within the Church of England, he took snippets of it. Um, it's not in complete form. Uh, there's a book entitled The Ministry of the Spirit, mm-hmm. uh, Selected Writings of Roland Allen. And the first time I read it was uh, when I was in undergraduate Bible college in upstate New York. Our, my missions professor had us uh, read this book along with Missionary Methods, St. Paul's or ours. And um, uh, chapter divisions, uh, in fact, I have it right in front of me here. Uh, chapter one in Pentecost in the World is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Chapter two, the Spirit revealed as the inspirer of missionary work. Uh, chapter three, the revelation of the spirit as creating an internal necessity for missionary work. Chapter four, the spirit revealing the need of men. Chapter five, the administration of the spirit. Chapter six, the spirit, the source and test of new forms of missionary activity. Chapter seven, the gift of the spirit, the sole test of communion, then the conclusion. Uh, I mean, what, it was really, you know, cutting edge literature when it comes to looking at the role of the spirit and mission. Oh, uh, definitely, yes. And um, the uh, now he he wrote uh, a, another um, thing on pneumatology that uh, is always good to read in conjunction with this. And the bottom line with uh, uh, Pentecost in the world was Alan saw within Saint Paul's missionary methods a, a very complete dependency on the Holy Spirit. And so the more that he uh, meditated on the scriptures and, and then thought through what Paul was doing, and of course, you know, in the four provinces that, you know, we, we always quote Alan on, uh, you know, within a 10-year period of time from 47 to 57, no churches in uh, Achaia, Asia, Macedonia, and Galatia, but after 10 years, then there's churches in all four of those provinces, mm-hmm. yet none of those churches were dependent on Paul being their leader, right? So... Paul wrote letters to them, but there, but he was not a resident uh, minister amongst them. Uh, and and Alan came to the conclusion that it was because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so because of that, he said, why why do we think that it's necessary for us personally to be, if Paul saw that he didn't have to live amongst the people and remain as their leader, mm-hmm. it makes us to think that we, we should do uh, something different than Paul did. 
And so he saw this pneumatology in Paul's, um, his own life and in his ministry. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, that influenced uh, Roland Allen to write this way. So, yeah, he's, he was cutting edge in that sense uh, in the area of missiology. Um, in terms of a dependency on the Holy Spirit. You know, one of my favorite quotes uh, from from Missionary Methods, uh, 1912 publication, Missionary Methods, uh, that that Alan made uh, about about kind of what you just said about St. Paul, uh, is uh, he, he writes, either we must drag down St. Paul from his pedestal as the great missionary, or else we must acknowledge that there is in his work that quality of universality. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and you know, in other words, um, you know, we, we kind of write him off as well. Yeah, he he wasn't that influential. He wasn't that important as a missionary. Uh, or we really need to see. Okay, well, maybe maybe there is something that's you know that transcends two thousand years, transcends culture, transcends you know denominations and uh, and contexts as well that we can apply in in, in different contexts uh, across the world. I just love that quote. Um, yes. You know, we talked a little bit about you know the Holy Holy Spirit. That that's kind of a thread that runs through a lot of his writings. You know, Saint Paul's influence, um, ecclesiology, uh, other other common threads that may come to your mind that that I'm missing right off that um, show up in Alan's work. I know I know his view on indigenous churches being being important. Well, uh, getting back to um his high church emphasis, which has a strong leaning on the necessity of Holy Communion. Um, yes. In terms, uh, not, and to view it as, uh, we would say, theologically, in the area of sanctification, that for our our nurturing, uh, it's, uh, Alan saw that, uh, and, and he did this, he practiced this later in life when he moved to Africa, as you know, that he, he and his wife would have Holy Communion daily. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is not different than what uh, John Wesley and even George Whitfield, the revivalists, said. That if we can have communion daily, that would be the best way to do it. And, and well, even even talks about that in uh, the manuscript, the family, you know, what what has come to be called the family rite, uh, about actually yes. doing that in the home. Exactly, and uh, which which gives a, a real um, strong emphasis for the necessity of in neighborhoods, neighborhood churches, <laughs> house churches. Uh, mm-hmm planting house churches and, and having Holy Communion with those that gather together in, in the name of the Lord. Um, so because of his high view of uh, what us Anglicans call the Eucharist, Holy Communion, the, mm-hmm. Lord's, the Lord's Supper, uh, the Lord's Table, um, he, he saw that as central to a, a church that really is active. Like in, as he, he um, always said, what, what's necessary to have a church? Well, you need to have the scriptures, you need to have the Bible. A common creed, and of course, personally, he believed the the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed. But in terms of from a Pauline perspective, just a common creed, something that the people in a local setting, a community of faith, they say, okay, this is who we are. This is this is our faith. Mm-hmm. So uh, the four things: the Bible, a common creed, uh, the sacraments, and what he meant by that. Uh, as a Protestant, he was he was referring to. Uh, baptism and Holy Communion, and then the ministry, um, the sense that there's ordained clergy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a high churchman, he he believed that, um, and because he held to an Episcopal form of church government, that that it 
it, that and historically the church has had bishops. Um, a bishop is a pastor to the pastors, right? And mm -hmm. you have a diocese. And his his Alan's view was very similar to uh, Saint Ignatius's, that a, a, a diocesan bishop uh, pretty well is a, a, a father in the faith, like a grandfather figure uh, over a, a, a cluster of churches or churches that are networked together where the bishop would know everybody by name, including the little children. Mm -hmm. And so Alan's view of that was he would put a lot of, uh, and, and what I'm saying now, I'm trying to take uh, the, the, all of his writings of his letters over the years because I've analyzed letter, his letters and, and he um, always began letters to bishops as um, Lord Bishop, very respectful. Hmm. But then you get only a short distance through his letter, and then he's beginning to put pressure on the bishop, like you're not doing your job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so like you need to be up. And and he was really, uh, you find over the years, uh, he got himself in a lot of trouble yes, with bishops, um, and and yet, um, uh, what he was doing was he was he was compelled to say. Okay, these new churches have sprung up, but there's no ordained leadership. Mm -hmm. And in the Church of England, from our perspective, um, uh, you're not supposed to have Holy Communion unless you have an ordained minister there. Mm -hmm. And so he would he would push bishops on on you know you need to go and ordain these leaders. So and he took that as like the apostolic precedent of the apostles going and laying hands on local people. Um, where churches had emerged. So, so talked about some of his titles, some of those those threads that are running through his titles. But, but in about, uh, well, I, I talked about his titles from you know like 1912 up to 1927. But in 1923, in 1928, 1929, and 1930, he published uh, works with titles such as voluntary clergy. Uh, voluntary clergy overseas, uh, non-professional missionaries, and then the case for voluntary clergy. Uh, and of course, we just we just mentioned um, uh, the work that uh, he wrote. Uh, I believe it's forty-three, uh, the family right, uh, and then um, uh, the ministry of expansion, which uh, we're hoping to see published a little bit later on uh, this year. Uh, that was written in the late thirties. Uh, Hubert and I have been communicating. Hubert Hubert thinks that it's probably written around 38 give or take a year or two so so what is happening in Allen in, in his life and his heart at this point in time in in those years where so many of his titles are are talking about these things voluntary clergy communion uh, in the home unordained overseeing the um, presiding at the table uh, voluntary clergy non-professional missionaries what, what what's going on at this point in his life Oh, well, uh, first of all, it's important to know that um, in the Church of England, um, you were you were you were supported. You had your quote living is what they call it. Um, you're supported by the church fully. So that, in a sense, uh, in many ways, uh, went against the idea of being bivocational. Uh, in evangelicalism, you know, we 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 understand a lot of pastors have another job, right? Mm -hmm. They uh, they do the they work of the ministry, but they have something else to support their family. And Alan didn't have a problem with that because he looked at Paul's tent-making uh, practice. Uh, but he, the issues came up, especially in India. And this was under—these are questions that were emerging, especially with uh, Bishop Azariah, who was the first 
native uh, uh, Indian to be consecrated as bishop uh, in the Church of England in India. Uh, and that was, he was consecrated in 1912. And Alan came into contact with Azariah before he was uh, consecrated bishop in 1910 when he was visiting there, he and his wife were there. Um, so Alan began to uh, struggle with this this whole idea that again, it, the custom within the Church of England um, made no room for that. So if you were a missionary sent out from the Church of England, uh, whatever society, CMS or SPG that sent you out, uh, or some of the independent uh, mission societies, um, you were supposed to be fully devoted to the church and not have to support yourself in any other way. Now, ideally, that's great, uh, but it, it doesn't always work that way mm -hmm. in your life. So Alan um, was dealing with issues with Bishop Azariah in India, especially in particular, I'm, I'm just referring to the Anglican scene here. And the questions were, could uh, could our clergy that are being ordained, who are very effective, um, you know, there's not there's not a lot of money to go around, so um, they need to continue with their own uh, their own form of other vocation mm -hmm. to support their family. So Alan began to address that, and as you've already quoted the books, um, even Alan put that on the table in 1930 for the big Lambeth conference where all the Anglican leaders were supposed to come together, all the bishops uh, in Canterbury, and uh, that that would be on the, the table of discussion. In fact, Alan uh, paid for, uh, out of his own pocket, right, yeah. uh, for every bishop to have a copy of that book in their hands. The case so for they, voluntary clergy. Yes, and in the Church of England, eventually, uh, this has been acceptable. Uh, and, and it's believed, I argue in my dissertation even, uh, that it's because of Alan's influence. There were other voices, mm. but Alan was, had the impetus uh, to, to bring this about. So it's very common now that you have parishes in England that um, are pastored by retired professors, mm -hmm. um, and the, the church doesn't have to support them. So they're non-stipendiary um, in that sense. They're not, uh, they can support themselves. And Alan saw a, a big need for that. He saw that as connected within this whole thing of the ecclesi ecclesiological understanding. Yeah, it's all so, played all played together as a holistic approach. So, so Alan eventually uh, moves, uh, ends up in Africa, and uh, June 9, nineteen forty-seven, uh, he dies. He's uh, he's actually buried uh, in Nairobi City Park, just a very simple stone cross uh, that is that is found there. And uh, and so you know one of the one of the things that uh, I've read in his his uh, his grandson's um, biography uh, that Hubert Allen uh, wrote, um, Steve, is that uh, he tells he tells the tale of when he was an adolescent, about twelve years old. He approaches his grandfather and he says, he called him Grandfer. He said, Grandfer, can I read your writings? And uh, the elder Allen responded by saying, Oh yes, you can read my writings, but you won't understand them. No one will understand them until I've been dead for 10 years. And, uh, I, you know, I think Alan was, uh, was very much a thought leader, very much way ahead of his time. I think he was a misunderstood prophet uh, in his day. Uh, and so um, it's important for us to, to think about uh, what was his missiology. Uh, so if you've been listening uh, during this, uh, this episode, uh, my guest uh, has been uh, Dr. Stephen Rutt. 
Uh, we've been talking about the uh, the biology or biology, talking about the biography of Roland Allen. And uh, in our next episode, we are going to carry this conversation on and talk about Roland Allen's missiology, the missiology behind the man. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find J.D. on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpayne.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.